Remain standing, please, and open your Bibles to 7, John chapter 7. John 7, verses 1 through 13. God's word says this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Please be seated. Pray. Lord, help us. This is your sacred text. This is your holy word. Help us to interact. Help us to be open in our minds and our hearts. May your Holy Spirit do what uh, we can't do ourselves as we read and contemplate this text in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go through John, and we're familiar with other passages, uh, other Gospels, uh, we've noticed, we've talked about this, so I won't belabor it, but John is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the same in a lot of ways, and it is a a biography uh, of, of Jesus. All four are inspired or breathed out by God, it's true, uh, there's little differences, but there's no contradictions. Um, whatever uh, textual things have come down, and we might, we might say there's a contradiction that's easily uh, looked at and understood. So we, we believe this is God's word. We know it to be that. And John wrote, uh, oh, maybe 20 years later, perhaps, quite likely, a little after all the other gospels had been written and circulated among the churches. And uh, God led him to write this that would be our, our fourth gospel. Um, some things in common, some incidents. But he skipped a few things um, uh, that, that the others included. It wasn't necessary for him to, to rehash that. And so some time has passed. And Jesus is in Judea. He's done some miracles. He's gathered some disciples. Or he's in Galilee. Why is he in Galilee now? Um, and, and not in Judea? Well, it says he, he didn't want to go about in Judea because 
the Jews, and this means the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him. doesn't mean every single Jewish person. Uh, otherwise, he would be talking about himself. He'd be talking about his brothers who weren't seeking to kill him. Uh, he's talking about the Jewish leaders and that uh, when he wrote in that, in that phrase. So that's what we're talking about here. I want us to see three things this morning. First of all, the desperate hardness and unbelief of human nature. Secondly, one principal reason why many people do hate Christ. And thirdly, is the strange variety of opinions about Christ, which were current from the beginning. Uh, All of this, we look at it and we go, that's just like today. That's just like today. That's just like today. And it is. Uh, There's nothing new under the sun. Times change, inventions change, styles change. Um, All of that changes, but there are things that don't change. The timelessness of human nature, the relationship that people have with God or don't have with God and should have with God, God doesn't change. And so there's something here for us this morning to learn from. Now, I want to ask a question to begin with. You don't have to answer it like joking with Laura. If she raises her hand now, it's not that she has a question. It would throw me because she would have to raise her hand with that bandage on it and do that. I'm like, is she getting it? What's going on? Uh, You don't need to call out the answer, but I want to ask you in your mind, which is worse? Jesus had people that hated him to the point where they wanted to kill him. And he had some brothers we'd grown up with, who'd seen him, who didn't believe him, believe in him, and I believe who here were actually mocking him. Now, these are brothers. Uh, Sometimes we'll say, hey, it's more maybe down south, but it's here. We say it, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, brother, brother, brother. That's a good thing to to do. That's that's God's family. That's biblical Christian language. Uh, you're a Christian, you're my brother in Christ. If you're a man, if you're a woman, you're my sister in Christ. We're family. It's not talking about his brothers in Christ. It's not talking about his disciples. The word here is adel foy, brothers, uh, as brothers. And his brothers are coming to him, and they're joking around with him. We can't know their motivation, but we can kind of guess. Like if I said this to Jesus... Hey, Jesus, you're kind of a local celebrity. Boy, if you really want to get your name out, why don't you head up there? And I would be using it to taunt him, to put him in his place, to nudge my other brother and, and be kind of laughing. Hey, Jesus, go up there. Hey, nobody, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to get up there and, and go there. Uh, nobody, if you're doing these things, hey, show yourself to the world. And it says they're saying this because they didn't believe in him. I think I'd rather have people I didn't know offended at my words sending me nasty grams on social media wishing me dead than my own close family members. I think it'd be worse to have your family. I was thinking of having to watch a film in high school and it was a Shakespeare thing and when Julius Caesar's getting stabbed, 
and that famous line, you too, Brutus, you too, you also are with these guys. And that was the most cutting hard thing is the betrayal of the close friend. Psalms talks about this. Currently reading, I might be able to finish it today. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a book about his relationship with Coach John Wooden. And I'm becoming a bigger John Wooden fan as I get older. And before Kareem uh, became Kareem, when he was Lou Cinder, he was a high school student in New York, went to a Catholic high school. He was one of the few black students, uh, but he was highly touted. Uh, he was tall, extra tall, extra early. And everybody wanted him to come to their college and play. He had what he thought was a great relationship with his coach. They were playing the biggest high school game probably to date at that time, maybe one of the biggest, most known, and they were losing. And this coach went off on the team. Coach's motivational style was the opposite of, of that of John Wooden. And he... Um, he got in their face. He tried to make them mad. And when he got to young Will Cinder, he looked in his face and he called him a racial slur. He said, you're not playing. You're just like, and he said that word to him. And Kareem writes in his book what that did to him and how that did him. The coach he believed in and trusted in. And, of course, the team went out, and they played angry, and they won the game. And then the coach comes and puts his arm around him, slaps him on the back, says, hey, I knew that would work. I didn't really mean that. You know I didn't mean that. But that was a, I'm such a good coach. That really motivated you, didn't it? And he talks about how he couldn't even, he couldn't play for that coach the rest of the year. He wanted to transfer schools. He just went out and played and did his job. But the given the betrayal, the trust, the intimate relationships that you're supposed to have but he, uh, in your family. And when it's broken and gone, that's... And you think of Jesus. You go, well, he was God. He was the Son of God. Uh, no, you think of Jesus. We talked yesterday in men's group. We were talking about Jesus as... Fully human, fully God, completely human, completely God. Uh, there's this great essay that's out there uh, that one of my teachers told me to, to read in seminary uh, by a guy named B.B. Warfield. And now I see they're putting it into a little book and got some Christian celebrity writing the forward to it. And there's, it's still worth your money, even though, even though it's marketing. Uh, it's worth getting that or reading that on the emotional life of our Lord. And seeing how Jesus, what does it mean when Jesus wept? What emotions did Jesus feel? What was Jesus doing? He's there. He's started his work for the Lord. And these are his brothers. These are his family members. Hey, you are who you say you are. Get up there. You go do those works there. Ha, ha, ha. How hard is that? We start in a new job or we have in our families or we enter our marriage with a stack of goodwill chips. Be careful how you spend those goodwill chips. You get a stack of them. You get the benefit of the doubt. 
and then pretty soon it's those chips are spent and if you haven't uh, re reimbursed that pile you're in trouble but if anybody deserved think of Jesus think of his brothers they saw him they saw the miracles and they made jokes about it it's tragedy the ones closest to him almost taunting him at least that's the way it comes across to me laughing. Hey, we called his bluff. <laughs> Probably laughed about that all the way up to the feast that Jesus wasn't going to. And we hurt and we think our own family, our own kids we tried to raise for the Lord. Times we celebrated when they prayed and received Christ and and, and memorized this and did that. And there is a hurt that's there. They don't even realize the depth of the hurt. We understand John 6.44 that we looked at a week or two ago. Where Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. J.C. Ryle, who's been my best friend going through John, uh, said this about this particular situation with Jesus applying to us. He said, the true servants of Christ in every age will do well to remember this, uh, meaning no one can come to the Father unless, come, come to me unless the Father draws him. He says, they are often surprised and troubled to find that in religion, they stand alone. They are apt to fancy that it must be their own fault, that all around them are not converted like themselves. They are ready to blame themselves because their families remain worldly and unbelieving. But let them look at the verse before us. In our Lord Jesus Christ, there was no fault, either in temper, word, or deed. Yet even Christ's own brethren did not believe him. Doesn't make it hurt less, but in some ways it, it does help us to understand. It's not up to us and our character. And, and, and Jesus says, they, these brothers can't come to me unless the Lord draws them, his own brothers. Think about that. And, and I do apply this uh, Hebrews 2.18, where it says, For because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And if you're being tempted to despair over people you love, almost making a mockery of your calling and your Christ and your religious practices, understand Jesus was there. That's a case where he was tempted like you are, yet without sin. For those of you who stand alone within your families when you hurt and are tempted to despair, you find an inexplicable inner peace calming you down, giving you perspective on this. That's the Lord helping you. That's the Lord who is tempted like you are, sending that Holy Spirit to calm and to help you. 
in what is rightly a very, very difficult time. Time that most of us say, I don't even want to go there because I don't like the pain that, that, that's going to come. Christ helps you through the Holy Spirit when people like Jesus' brothers who are close to you do the same to you that they did to Jesus. Hey, get up there. Yeah, go, go, go. Ha, ha, ha. Not so good, not so messianic, not so sovereign. I found this. Sometimes uh, I was talking, whenever I hear a song, there's, there's one band. If I've got an album on or a soundtrack going or a playlist on, any song by The Cure brings tears to my eyes, and I love it, and I think about my son, because that's a band we share uh, that we like. And he sent me, a, for, for my birthday, the album Disintegration. I said, there's one song I've never liked, but I like it on this album as I listen to the album. And he said, you have to listen to disintegration as a whole. And I said, are you trying to make a pun? <laughs> disintegration as a whole, but you've got to listen to the whole thing. But there's a line in one of the songs where the singer in a very almost depressed, haunting, sad way says, I never quite said what I wanted to say to you. Never quite managed the words to explain to you. Never quite knew how to make them believable. And now the time is gone, another time undone. And you think about that, and you think, I'd love to go back. What would I do in that situation with those dear people if I could do it again? And you can't. And if you're grieving over missed opportunities or people who haven't come to the Lord and, and you've said, I've done what I could, understand Jesus in this situation, had his brothers, his autofoy, his people, mocking his miracles. And I just want to say to us, the time has not gone. And it is not over. Might have felt to Jesus, even at that time, as if it was over for those family members he loved. But it wasn't. There's two great points to make about this. If you're struggling and praying and, and wishing. I said, boy, Hebrews 2.18, that's a good one. But listen to this. Hebrews 2.17, the verse right before it. The, the sentence right before it, because they, they didn't write in verses in those days. We, verses are inventions by us to help us find our place in the text. The thought right before it was about Jesus, and it said, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. And this is not talking about those earthly human brothers that mocked him necessarily. It's talking about his brothers in Christ, those he came to save. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, God did, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that his son might be the firstborn among many brothers. And there is a family, and there are brothers and sisters that you have that maybe you didn't grow up in the same home with. But the old phrase, twin sons of, of different mothers, you're, you're, you're brothers of a different 
uh, father, a heavenly father, and there is a family for you. And some of you, if your earthly family rejects you or laughs at you, they accept, but they but they they kind of mock you and roll their eyes behind your back or 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 find a uh, or something to say. You have a family. Mark 3, 31 through 35. Jesus' mother, this is Mary, this is the great Mary. Mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And we find from another gospel that the mother and brothers were there to get Jesus out of there. He was kind of embarrassing them, or they were afraid of that. Get this guy off the platform before he says anything uh, that could embarrass us. We, we, we see that. Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And I would tell each of us, I would remind each of us, and there'll be a time where you need to remind me privately, no doubt. Paula needs to. Somebody needs to help me. When you feel all alone and you're, and you're taking a stand, not to be a arrogant, but because you know what's true and you're rejected by people who you wish wouldn't reject you because you love them so much. And remember Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And now, in this case, this is the best part. This is the, this is the part that says where there's life, there's hope. Because what happened with these brothers in the end? What happened to his mother in the end? They... Believed in him. Listen to this. Uh, His mother and brothers eventually were converted. Uh, Right early on in the book of Acts, Jesus ascends to heaven, and the followers who were there, about 120 people or so, went and they gathered and they met. And and that's that's where the Christian church was starting and the seed was happening. Listen, I'll I'll read it the the way it tells it in Acts 1, 13 through 15. Uh, they, They went to this upper room after Jesus ascended. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Oh, well, that, that, that makes sense, the 11 disciples, of course. But what's the next verse? All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The Otto Foy. And, and I would just say, never forget, where there's life, there's hope. Never stop praying. Some of you know my Sunday morning routine driving in is to listen to that gospel bluegrass on the, uh, on the bluegrass junction, uh, the gospel train. Get on board the gospel train. And you hear a lot of songs. Some of those songs are as theologically tight and correct as anything you could find. They are so absolutely, and you go, man, this is just like a, 
one of the great hymns in, in the Bible. It is absolutely astute, and it's done with a, a good old mountain uh, uh, fiddle and, and, and some, some hillbilly singing, and I love these guys. Some of them are a little shaky in their theology, and I love this one when they play it, and it's a little shaky in a couple of points. Uh, I think it's, it's either the devil or Satan. Uh, I think it's the devil, because they say the devil more than they say Satan in those songs. The devil knew my grandma well. You can probably look it up and, and listen to it. And, and uh, oh, a couple of places where it's the, it was talking about how his grandma was a grandma who prayed. And she prayed and prayed, and the devil knew her well. And here's, here's one theological place where it's wrong. He could hear her prayers all the way down in hell. Well, hell rhymes with well and all that. Well, he's not in hell yet. He's going. Another place where grandma um, got her wings when she died. And, and, and Satan knew my, my grandma well, but Jesus knew her the best. But there's one verse in there that I love for this song. And if you're a grandma who prays for her grandkids, this is for you. And this verse, the guy says, I was about six years old and the devil tried to get me in his car. And he squealed away when he heard grandma yell because the devil knew my grandma well. And that's a metaphor for your prayers for those kids and grandkids you love. And that devil would love to take them and and show them everything in the world, hit every wicked stop on the way and get them miserable while they're here and then just step on the gas and drive straight there into hell. And this song is talking about a grandma who prays for her grandkids. And there's life and there's hope. Never give up. And so we see Jesus at first. And I think the answer to my question that I asked a few minutes ago, I think I'd rather have outside people trying to kill me and my family loving me. But Jesus had that. And you see the desperate hardness and unbelief of human nature. They could grow up and see. How did Ryle put it again? In our Lord Jesus Christ, there was no fault, either in temper, word, or deed. Yet even Christ's own brethren did not believe him. And we can say at least for a while. Second point. Well, no, we've got to get a transition. Because I could read this. And I could say, Jesus either told a white lie. You go ahead. I'm not going up. You go up to the feast. And then he went in, in disguise. Uh, maybe a little white lie. Or, and he's been accused of that. Or, Jesus couldn't make up his mind. The word one of the theologians used uh, in the third century even, translated irresolute. He didn't know. Maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. And, and what kind of a Jesus and God is that? So let's answer that question in case that's a question you had. Why would Jesus say, I'm not going? My time hasn't come, hasn't come yet. Yours, you, you can go, but me, I'm not going. Why would he say that and then go? Okay. Early textual witnesses, early texts that they find, and they keep finding these manuscripts, and there's just so much Bible out there. They keep finding it and keep finding it and keep finding it, and it just keeps proving itself over and over again to be true. But some of the early ones they found, Greek word here, I am not yet, uro, I am not yet going up to the feast. 
If you're carrying a new international version of the Bible, that's how the NIV people translated. Jesus said, I'm not yet going to the feast. Others, probably more of them, said, I'm not going. Ook, I'm not going. Ook, uro. They said maybe somebody uh, wanted to make Jesus look good, some scribe translating it, and so they put, they put the yet in there. Um, who knows? Doesn't matter. And here's why it doesn't matter. Here's a quote from D.A. Carson. This is where, where I had to put my thinking cap on. You guys may, might not have to, but maybe you should. Uh, Carson said this in explaining this, and then we'll go on to the next point in our sermon. He said, the word uro, meaning I'm not yet going up to the feast, may have been an early scribal correction to remove the obvious difficulty that arises in verse 10, because Jesus does go up. But even if the reading, ook, I'm not going up, is correct, the difficulty is superficial because the context supplies a condition. Jesus' response to his brothers is not that he's planning to stay in Galilee forever, but that because his life is regulated by his heavenly Father's appointments, he is not going to the feast when they say he should. The counsel of his brothers, or the counsel of the wicked, Psalm 1-1, cannot be permitted to set his agenda. His not turns down his brother's request. It does not promise he will not go to the feast when another, meaning his Father in heaven, sanctions the trip. So he went to the feast. Not the way his brothers told him to go. Go to the feast. Keep drawing attention to yourself. Uh, See what happens then. Now he went with discretion. And even though they've criticized Jesus for this, there's an easy answer. So, he goes up there for the feast. One principal reason why he didn't go at first and say he said he didn't want to go is found in verse 7. And this is our next point in our sermon. One principal reason why many hate Christ. What did he say? He says, you guys can go. Man, you're just part of everything. Just go buy your cotton candy, ride the Ferris wheel, uh, uh, pay your bucks at the midway, try and knock those pins down, listen to the band. You guys can go. You're just part of it. I can't go, and the reason I can't go is because of this. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. They're after him because he is calling attention to the fact that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Okay, Ryle again. I could pay Ryle part of my salary, dig him up and throw some gold in his, uh, some, some salary or pay stub in his grave. Uh, he, he's, earned, he's earned it today. But listen to this. We need this. Ryle said they could have tolerated his opinions if he would have only spared their sins. You can have a theological opinion, but you can't say what you guys are doing is wrong and it's against God's will. Stick your neck out to that degree and then see what happens. This is the late 1800s. Ryle wrote this. The principle we may be sure is one of universal application. And he says it's at work now just as much as it was 1,800 years ago. The real cause of many people's dislike to the gospel is the holiness of living which it demands. 
teach abstract doctrines only, and few will find any fault. Denounce the fashionable sins of the day, and call on men to repent and walk consistently with God, and thousands at once will be offended. The true reason why many profess to be infidels and abuse Christianity is the witness that Christianity bears against their own bad lives. Like Ahab, they hate it, quote, because it does not prophesy good concerning them but evil. 1 Kings 22.8 Listen, we are going to talk about this in Sunday school this morning. Uh, if people only hear the church is saying, you're bad, you're wrong, you sin, and, and they refuse to listen and believe, no, there is a payment for the Yes, sin is bad. Yes, it is. There's good news with the, with the bad, but, but you've got you to gotta accept and embrace the bad, uh, the truth, that without Jesus, you are without hope. And Jesus said, they hate me because I'm saying, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. Okay. They knew Christ, that Christ didn't stop with just denouncing sins, but bore the full wrath of God and paying the penalty for those sins. They would love him because he first loved them. But they don't like you saying, and you guys can think of the fashionable sins of the day. What's out there? What's the whole world going to? Ah, I don't even need to list them right here. Will, if you want me to, but you know what's out there. You say that's a human, I'm going to list a couple of them. You say that's a, a human being, that's a beating heart made in the image of God. Don't kill that, that life. Oh, oh, you're a hater, you're against. No. Love. Tell the truth. You know what scripture says about how this marriage that's coming up, this one man, this one woman, together, picturing Christ and his bride, say anything other than that. Say it lovingly, but tell the truth, and you are haters. But really, you're the hated. And Jesus said, they hate me because I call them on this. And Jesus saying that as one who's getting ready to go to the cross and die for those very sins. That was by default. A lot of stuff happens to me is by default. I was president of my senior class in seminary, and so I got to, basically it just meant I, I had a whole lot of extra work. I had to find out who's going to be the speakers for the, the banquets at the college and, and all that stuff for the final senior banquet. Got this little guy named Bevo Elkin, whose claim to fame was he was the first seminary student at RTS Jackson with long hair. Bebo Elkin. And I liked Bebo. He's a little short guy. Uh, Mississippian through and through. And I'll never forget what he told us that night. He said, you're going to be in churches, you're going to be in pulpits, and you're going to be tempted to not speak the whole truth. You're going to be tempted to say, to say things to make people happy 
and there'll be biblical true things, but he said, when it comes down to it, will you pull the trigger? And you tell people that they need a savior, that without a savior, they are lost, that without Jesus, whatever sins, the good little pride sins that we do, the good little gossipy sins we do, or the sins that society condemns, but without that, what's the point of Jesus dying if it wasn't for the sins of people? So we finally get finally to the strange variety of opinions about Christ, which were current from the beginning. So Jesus goes. He's kind of quiet. The leaders are looking for him because they'd love to kill him. Love to just snuff him out. He's a threat. They're looking for him. They're saying, where is he? Where is he? In verse 11. And there was much muttering about him among the people. Some people said he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for the fear of these Jewish religious leaders, no one spoke openly about him. Even today, variety of opinions about Jesus. Great example for us. Great moral example. Somebody said he got hung on a cross because he told people to love each other. Well, that's... He did tell people to love each other. He didn't get hung on a cross. Uh, There's more to the story. Jesus himself said, Matthew 10, 34, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And don't be surprised if there are different reactions about Jesus. What I'm saying to us and to to, to you and to me is, don't use this as an excuse to say, well, there's so many opinions about Jesus. I'll just go find me a a church that will tell me about Jesus, what I I want it to to be. That's like, you got cancer? (laughs) You don't like the doctor who tells you you've got cancer, so go find you a doctor that will tell you you don't have cancer until you die of cancer. And so you give 20 people here. We had a math problem, and this is happening pretty complicated for some of you guys because you guys are math pretty, pretty, doesn't have to be too complicated for me because I'm a literature history guy, not a math science guy. But you get a math problem, and we pass it out, and everybody does the math problem, and we get all these answers. We might get 30 or 40 answers. Let's say every answer is different. Does that mean every answer is wrong? Does it mean one of the answers is right? Not necessarily that either. But just because there's a lot of different opinions about Jesus, uh, where would you go to get the correct math answer? I would go to a math textbook, to a, a, a mathematician, and I would get that person. I would find the one who knew. An opinion about Jesus, and a world of opinions about Jesus. Where do you go to find out about Jesus? You go to God's word, which tells us everything about Jesus that we need to know. Go to his word. See what he says about himself. And while you're going to his word, go to him in prayer and say, Lord, show me what is true about you. And so the question today for us, we've seen some brothers kind of mocking and scoffing. We've seen some people that wanted to kill. 
We've seen some people that thought he's a pretty good guy, some people that didn't. Uh, the important question is you. What do you think about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? Do you believe him when he talks about sin? Do you believe him when he says the kingdom of God is near? Do you believe him when he says repent and believe the gospel? Do you believe him when he says, whoever comes to me, I will not send away? Uh, this is the pressing question. Pop quiz. The most played song on American radio in 1993. Pop quiz. Some of you guys are, are astute. Let's find these. Make sure I got these with me. This is back when radio was king. Today we would say the song most downloaded. Number one song. And this is a song that a lot of you guys remember. I'm going to make a, I'm going to put a spiritual twist to it and, and remind us from this text. But that number one song in 1993, when Paul and I had been married six years, and I was probably blasting it out on my radio in my Frito-Lay truck, riding around in my stores, was Sting. If I ever lose my faith in you. And I read these lyrics, and I said, in a way, this absolutely applies to the text, to me, to you, what you need. He says, you could say I lost my faith in science and progress. You could say I lost my belief in the Holy Church. You could say I lost my sense of direction. You could say all of this and worse. But if I ever lose my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do. He never defined who the you was. Say I lost my faith in the people on TV. And I guess this is the line that resonated with me. You could say I lost my belief in our politicians. They all seem like game show hosts to me. And if it's true then, it's even more true now. He said, I never saw a miracle of science that didn't go from a blessing to a curse. Never saw a miracle. Oh, science, we follow the science. Science is it. I am science, science. No. God is the God of science. Jesus Christ is the only one. You put your faith in these things, these things will let you down. They may even kill you and laugh while they're doing it. He said, I never saw a military solution that didn't always end up as something worse. Put your faith in politicians. Put your faith in science. Put your faith in, not, not just put your faith in science, but in what the world defines as science, of who controls it. Put your faith in, in, in power and might and, and pushing people. No. These are all things that have led it us down. And they're all things that people did instead of looking at Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus isn't the coach that you trust until he calls you a racial slur and, and lets you down. What do you believe about Jesus? How did Jesus prove his words? Went to a cross. The Bible says willingly. No one takes my life from me, but I give it willingly. That's how much he loves you. He endured the equivalent of an eternity in hell for each of the people he came to save. He's not going to let you down.
And when Jesus said, follow me, your best option is to follow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this incident, this uh, telling. Thank you for the Gospel of John. The Gospel's there, and if our Bible was only, uh, uh, was one book short, it was only 65 books, uh, we'd still see the Gospel and we'd see Jesus, but thank you for including this Gospel of John as part of your uh, sacred text and your letter to us. And we thank you for this incident. We pray, Lord, for those who we love, and we pray that you'll help us to never stop praying and, and, and hoping and believing and, and sharing the truth. We thank you for times where we feel like we're the only ones, maybe in our families, and, and we feel a little tiny bit of a smugness or ridicule coming at us. Lord, we thank you for the times that, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit helps us and reminds us that Jesus was tempted like we are. And that there is, uh, he understands what we're, what we're experiencing at that time. And we pray for a fallen world. We pray that, like Christ, we would not um, stifle ourselves and self-censor when there's truth to be told. And Lord, we thank you for your calling, for your, uh, your, your declaring that we must repent of our sins and, and put our faith in Jesus. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.